Hello and welcome to the Global City Mission Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York. And today I'm going to be talking to Manny Dominguez about doing cross-cultural ministry to a predominantly Anglo church. How are you doing, Manny? What's up, fam? Doing great. <laughs> so, Manny, I, I'm excited that you're here talking about this topic. Um, because I think for me as a you know church planner, evangelist, whatever you want to call it in New York, when I explain what I do, everybody's like, yep, that's cross-cultural ministry, that's mission work, that's important. Uh, but you're doing cross-cultural ministry at no less of a level, but probably at a less recognized level. Mm. So tell me a little bit about where you work, what the context is, and how you got there. Yeah, I'm at the Hills Church in North Virginia Hills, Texas, super well-known church, super well-known church of Christ. Yeah. Uh, here in America. And I'm from New York City. I'm from Washington Heights, actually, yeah. specifically. And I'm Dominican, very, very proud to be. And so the way I got here real briefly is I'm 25 now, just turned 25. And when I was 16, a mission group, uh, really, high schoolers and right. a couple of youth ministers from this church came to help one of the church plants of the hills that was in New York City. Yes, yes. I think it's called Everyday Church. And anyway, they brought too many students. They needed, they were more of a burden than a blessing, I think, to that <laughs> church. So they came over to where I was working at 16 years old, uh, Operation Exodus, a nonprofit, you know, inner city organization right. that was sharing the gospel and helping uh, kids from broken homes. And so they came and helped us for a week and I met the youth minister from here and I, you know, we did great ministry that week. Fast forward six years later, I get a phone call saying, Hey, you know, we've been praying and we feel like you'll be a great candidate to be our next high school minister. Yeah. And here we are. There you go. That's quite an impression you made at 16. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about, cause we've spoken before on the podcast about sort of missionaries moving up to global cities, predominantly usually white missionaries moving into immigrant context and right. adjusting culturally. What was that like in reverse? You came from a predominantly Dominican community in yeah. the Heights, mm-hmm. and I know that neighborhood well. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, down to Texas. Yeah. Now work at a, at a largely Anglo church. Mm-hmm. What was the transition like for you and your wife? There's multiple tensions. That's such a great question because the first tension and obstacle in transition is as a Hispanic American here in Texas – you know, you're kind of viewed automatically, you're, you're grouped with Mexican culture. Sure. And Dominican and Mexican culture are very different. Yes. And so that's the first tension is, you know, as soon as I got here, people were being super sweet uh, and in their efforts to identify with me and kind of meet me out of eye and show me that they've done some homework and research. Yeah. Uh, they they kind of grouped me with Mexican culture, you right. know what I mean? Yeah. They just assumed that I love tacos and things like that, <laughs> which, which is cute and sweet. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Seth, a lot of it, the first year for my wife and I was a lot of teaching and educating. Sure. You know, correcting people and saying, no, that's not it. I'm right. actually this. Yes, there's a difference between yeah. Haiti and Dominican Republic, right. you know, and just and all the things. So <laughs> it's been hard because <laughs> being from a, a minority culture yes. in a majority context, uh, a lot of people – uh, perhaps don't feel the same sense of importance to mm. uh, identify the, the, the difference. Um, yes. And so uh, it was hard. Yeah. Talk to me about the adjustment there in terms of what what were really important things for you and your wife to transition well, mm-hmm. and what were things that if you were doing it again, you would have done differently? That's so great. Well, first, it should be considered that we had gotten married, bought a house, and moved here all in the same year. And so we had a lot. Transitions was our middle name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Manny Transitions Dominguez. And so uh, my wife and I both 
felt the weight of, you know, new house, we need to furnish it, financial, like, worry, and then also uh, not having a community. Yeah. You know, because, first of all, ministers already are kind of on an island because our job is so different. And, sure. and missionaries, same is true for missionaries. And so uh, coupling that with, you know, we don't have anybody that's from where we're from. Right. Understands why we speak so fast. Understand our Spanglish yeah. kind of way of communicating, our culture, sure. our our love of music and dance. The Church of Christ that don't even dance. You know what I mean? Just all of those, all of those things that yeah. were conflict, conflicted pretty quickly. So I'll be honest with you, Seth. We had a uh, a couple of attempts to connect with people from from our church and our context, our neighbors. Uh, because we're in a nice neighborhood, so we don't have Hispanic neighbors. They're, they're predominantly Anglo. And because those first few attempts didn't go super well, um, we didn't really connect. We were very open and maybe, you know, loud and kind of in your face and wanting to connect. And uh, our counterparts were more reserved sure. and like, maybe scared, <laughs> you know. Uh, because of that, I'll be honest, uh, we were discouraged. Mm-hmm. And uh, our first year here was was lonely. And so if I could go back and do it again, uh, I would I would keep taking risks, mm-hmm. you know, and keep trying to connect because uh, it, it could be lonely, man. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're different and when you're not because there are people here for sure that are willing to make that connection and, yes. and look beyond the differences of culture and even try to kind of meet you where you are. Um, and you just got to find them. Yeah, and I know one of the things that I run into a lot working with churches, especially as they invite me in to speak on the work that I do, I hear churches and church leaders say a lot, man, we would love to you know, diversify our staff, bring in some different voices and perspectives and experiences. Yeah. But the question I always wonder is, you know, what, what concessions are they willing to make to help empower and support the ministry staff that they would bring in on that? You've been at the Hills three years of the Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. If, if you were in their position, and you were looking to bring in an a outside culture as a hire, uh, what would be really important to, to do and be aware of in making that decision? So good. First things first, and I, I have to commend the Hills because they did this well. The first thing I'll do is, is make sure I hire them to be themselves, not to try to fit into our culture mm-hmm. or you know try to change them, just tweak them a little bit so that my people and our culture uh, is not taken aback or, you know, not placed in a uh, uncomfortable position. Sure. I would allow that person and empower that person uh, or that couple or what have you to be themselves and to bring all of them with them and add to the kind of hopefully the melting pot that we're creating. And the Hills did that well. Yeah. You know, when I was hired, they said, we want you to bring, you know, your your animation, your comedy, your, you know, fast talking, your, you know, Latin fire, Latin heat to, to our context <laughs> sure. and, 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 and do all of that. So what does, I do commend like, what does that look like on a practical level? So, like, I mean, you're in youth ministry, mm-hmm. right? Think through a few different roles in the youth ministry, worship ministry, mm-hmm. preaching in, in any of those. Mm-hmm. You know, what what are the practical rubber meets the road kind of things that that need to be spoken about, thought about in the day-to-day life of the minister that follow what you're talking about, that let them be themselves. Yeah. Here's a big thing, uh, especially Hispanic, uh, a lot of my African-American brothers and sisters too, maybe it's because of our culture, because of where we were born or what have you, but uh, movement and music is a big part of culture for us. And, you know, in the Church of Christ world specifically, but other churches around our country and the world, um, 
you know, that are more conservative, the movement, raising of the hands, movement of the body during worship uh, can be perceived as uh, not reverent. Mm -hmm. It can be perceived as uh, a distraction. Mm -hmm. And so that was, to answer your question, one of the biggest practicals of uh, I need to make sure that I'm encouraged in this because this is how I know how to worship God. Sure. Uh, this is the music I enjoy. This is the music I connect with. And so, it, you know, a lot of it kind of implies music and movement. And um, that was a big thing for me. And that's what I would do if I was in that position to say, even though we're not used to it, I won't make that person or myself stand in the back. Right. Yeah, I won't make that person, you know, keep their hands in their pockets. I would say, if that's how you worship God, then. We're all going to be stretched and explore that. doesn't mean we all have to do it, but we certainly all want to be open to that. And uh, I think that's important. Yeah. Talk to me about another aspect of that, because I think one of the things that I've realized working cross-culturally in church work is culture really affects how you think about leadership, Mm. really affects how you think about conflict and conflict resolution. That seems important to think through on the staff if you're trying to make an outside cultural hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does your experience bring to bear on that? What, what advice would you give on those two things specifically, leadership and conflict resolution? So with leadership, I mean, representation is everything. Mm-hmm. So in our context here, uh, once they hired me on Seth, we saw, man, in one school year, maybe an additional 40 students, specifically from the Hispanic, uh, you know, body, if you will, uh, show up to, to Wednesday nights and, and Sunday mornings and all of our experiences because they felt like, oh, I can connect now. I mean, they came out of the woodworks. Like we hadn't seen them and they're like now showing up. And so I think in leadership, uh, we cannot expect to do ministry well, uh, in a cross cultural context if our leadership is all Anglo or all, I mean, it has to be sure. diverse enough so that we all have a seat at the table. Um, so that we all feel like, okay, I'm heard. I'm spoken for. I'm seen uh, in this context as far as conflict resolution. So uh, give me more details. What do you mean in that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, certain cultures, for example, I remember specifically working at when I was in Italy and, you know, to, to become pretty animated, even to yell, not necessarily okay. a, a negative emotion, yep. much more normally. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, other con- I remember working in the Bangladeshi community though, the Muslim South Asian in New York mm-hmm. And you would never be direct or angry or aggressive in that way. It's much more passive and direct. Mm -hmm. And so what, you know, the kind of what causes people to lose face, Mm. what is appropriate emotionally in conflict, Mm. how you know when conflict is resolved versus just put it pushed under the rug. Mm. These kind of issues come out in a cross-cultural environment. That's so great. Uh, how do you how do you anticipate that, and, and what wisdom could you bring to bear from your experience? So good, Seth. So I, I remember literally, Seth, my third week here, uh, this church was so generous, and they allowed me to see um, one of our in- incredible uh, psychiatrists that we know because I had, like, this third culture kid tension. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yes. And uh, I saw her, and, and, you know, and she was generous and allowed me to see her for free. And she did – what she did was she – drew two giant circles on a piece of paper yeah. and in and, and one circle she wrote Texas and the other one she wrote New York and then in those circles she drew a smaller circle mm-hmm. and then she, start, she started drawing arrows and she said in the Texas circle we 
go right through that big circle, meaning Southern hospitality. I yes. mean, you are immediately loved and welcomed and invited. And, yes. you know, we're all neighbors and we're all friends. And so she said, there's immediate access right. on the surface in the big circle. Right. In the smaller circle, she was explaining that generally speaking, in this culture, yeah. uh, we were masks. And, you know, in order for you to know what's really, really going on, it right. takes a long time. Yeah, quick to be a friend, but pretty slow to be an intimate relationship. Come on, baby. That's a good one-liner. Yeah. And so this moving over. Yes, this is Dottie. She recorded the same thing on the podcast in another episode. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, yes, I don't have to explain it too much. So, no, yeah. you do, because I, I know that episode, but for people listening. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yes. So in the other circle, this is incredible. Dottie is amazing. Shout out to her. Uh she, she, she said, she drew circle, she drew arrow, excuse me, and, uh, it, it wasn't, it was maybe the eighth arrow before it went yeah. through the circle. And right. really, in summary, she said, in New York, it takes a lot to go from stranger to friend or yes. enemy to friend or stranger to friend. But once you know me, you know me. Right. I mean, we're brothers and sisters. We are, we're, you're in, you right. know, and, and that's obviously different here in Texas. And so speaking to the, the conflict resolution, that was hard the first couple of years because I, I, it was hard to know, are we good or was, were you just suppressing that? Are you telling me that we're good yes. just because you don't want right. to argue anymore? Right. And so there was tension there for sure. But I think over time, once, once I built that rapport and realized how to speak to people where they are, mm-hmm. how maybe who I've known those last few months and weeks wasn't really who they were. Sure. But until I start asking, you know, more deeper questions, right. intimate questions, and we go through a storm together, mm-hmm. now I know who you are and yeah. I, I know kind of your tendencies. Yeah. So that, that makes good That's sense. That's a great question. And talking about this, and I don't want to be presumptuous about it, but sure. it's something I've witnessed in other contexts where if you are in some senses a minority either culturally, ethnically, you know, whatever else, on a staff, it's sometimes easy to become the spokesperson for everyone that's not in the majority <laughs> culture. Yes. As if you are representative of everyone, <laughs> everyone yeah. that's not, you know, whatever the dominant culture of the church right. is. Have you experienced anything like that? Some. You know, I think uh, this church specifically, here's where I'm blessed, where when I got here, Seth, this church was already – making efforts and strides to the direction of how do we uh, become cross-cultural? How do sure. we become, you know, aware of our privilege, our, you know, right. all of the things. And so we, I've been blessed to be able to sit under leadership that is aware of that. And so it has happened once or twice, mm-hmm. but not as, to be honest, not as often as I expected. Sure. One, because we do have a, uh, Hispanic pastor on staff mm-hmm. who's over our Spanish ministry. Sure. And so he maybe is the guy that does that more <laughs> than I do. I was just more the hire for students sure. um, that gets like a sure, can sure. be, you know. I'm talking about that because it sounds like you've experienced a, a more positive on onboarding than some in that, in that regard. Yep. Um, but it sounds like you're also familiar with what I'm talking about. 100%. Uh, again, what advice would you give in terms of you know, when you bring in a, a voice that helps diversify the conversation around at the table, you need to give them room and let them be who they are, as you said. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you need to recognize, I think, the the limitedness with which they don't represent everything other, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you strike that balance? Here's the best way I've seen it done and I try to do every day. So. What I want to do is, number one, if I'm approached and asked to speak for a whole people group, I say, um, 
I cannot speak for a whole people group, but here's the advice I can give. Sure. I can give this advice. Listen. Listen. Ask questions after you've done some research. And so do not approach a Hispanic brother or sister or African-American brother or sister, you know, with a good intention. But don't do that before you've, you know, taken to some books and, 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 you know, done some Internet research on you know, some statistics on redlining and just all of the issues before you speak to one of your friends or brothers in Christ or staffers about, hey, can you tell me about this issue? Do some research and then go to that person and say, hey, I've done some research. I'm definitely putting my effort, right, because that, that shows. Sure. I'm putting in some effort. I have skin in the game. I put hours of reading and praying and fasting on these things. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to listen from your perspective yeah. as someone that has not just – read a book, but experienced these things, can I hear from you? Yeah. And so I want to say two things, right? Number one is it's an honor to be approached because I've seen some churches, Seth, have minorities on staff and still try to import or seek outside the church for opinions on that. I'm like, you have African-Americans on your staff. Ask them what they think before you pay somebody to come speak into that. Mm-hmm. So it's an honor to be asked, you know, and have a seat at the table and have a voice. But on the back end is what I just said of, man, it's always nice when somebody says, I have skin in the game. Sure. I've done my homework. I've, I've, I've kind of gone as far as I can go. Now, please, I'm open-minded. Tell me what you think from your experience. I want to learn from you. I want yeah. to listen to you. I want to see you. Yeah, so. that makes sense. You know, one of the things that I've coached our staff on with ethnography specifically, but, but more broadly just cross-cultural ministry, uh, is that – you know, don't don't ever pretend to know something you don't. Mm. And that when you're in a cross-cultural environment, people are constantly saying things that you're either not totally familiar with or maybe totally ignorant of. Sure. As I I always tell them, you know, the, the most, the thing that you should repeat most often is, I don't know much about that, what you tell me to about me. it. Great. And it's Great. free. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I have never seen it go poorly. I've never yep. seen anyone really, you know, come across as, uh, overly judgmental or, or offended by other pr- people's ignorance. Mm-hmm. That sounds like I'm setting up a leading question. Maybe I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what I would be curious about is I know for a lot of people that have, you know, maybe born and raised in a pretty homogenous church, when an outside leader comes on board, you know, culturally outside, uh, maybe there's a fear or an apprehension about seeming ignorant mm. and a fear about offending by not knowing something, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you give to a person like that to help overcome that, you know, as an impediment in, in getting to know and really relating to a, a new leader from another culture? I'll tell you right now, not knowing is not offensive. Not knowing and choosing not to learn is what's offensive. Mm-hmm. And so that's the big distinction, right? If I come up to an Anglo brother and, I, you know, maybe some of my people that live in rural areas, right? Cowboy culture, whatever. And I literally just, I'm not familiar with country music. I'm not familiar with the things that are very important to that brother. Uh, Me saying, I don't know, but please, I really want to know what you tell me. I think it's it's not only not offensive, it's also pretty empowering Mm -hmm. because I'm giving the power and an opportunity for that person to, to speak into me as I sit at that person's feet and learn a thing or two. Mm -hmm. And so, I think it's, to be honest with you, because we're talking about ministry in an Anglo context, I'll be honest with you, Seth, it is a little difficult uh, as a minority to do that mm. uh, to my Anglo brothers and sisters because of 
the the premise that the, the tension of of our racial history mm. you know it's i think people like me um with my background and skin color need to fight the 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 ego and the pride of well i just i need to make sure that i'm not under you know white folk again right and 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 there has to be a balance there because we want to learn from each other i reverse racism is such a real thing you know where us as uh, minorities can just become so hurt and so disenfranchised by our anglo brothers and sisters that we're like well we hate them too and you know what i mean and we Mm -hmm. kind of reciprocate and uh i think it's it's empowering when we can see a leader that's different than us and say man I don't, I'm not really sure, but, but can you can you teach me? Mm-hmm. And if you see that that person maybe is getting that a lot, just observe. Just observe. Sit under that person. Maybe don't ask. Just observe. See what they do. See what they do. And then over time, just ask a question. If we're quick to ask, I think we can we can lose some some rapport. Yeah. Because it feels like we're not putting in any effort before we're just asking for answers. Mm-hmm. Well, Manny, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, yeah. and I hope this blesses our listeners. Uh, and thank you for joining us today on the Global City Mission podcast. You can f- find out more about GCMI at our website, globalcitymission.org, or you can visit us on our Facebook and Twitter.